0: The following message is from your Lachelet series, Unlovable. This week, Pastor Mike presents part two of this series.
1: One man really got back at his neighbor for impeding on his territory. Gabriel Braun says he has been feuding with his neighbor for years. And after a land survey showed that half of his neighbor's garage was on his property, Braun split the difference. (laughs) Sawing the garage in half so that it was no longer on his side. These dueling neighbors are well known to local authorities.
2: At least once a week, there's there's some kind of uh, property dispute amongst uh, the people. This one uh, is as Extreme as as I've ever seen. I figured this was probably the best answer I could come up with. I don't want the people around. I'm pretty sure they get it now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile. Anybody relate? Anybody got that that kind of neighbor? I just want to point out uh, that did you notice the guy who ripped the other guy's garage down was wearing a Packers shirt? So we have any Packers fans in the room, just want you to know who you're associating with. And and now what we all think of you. Come to the better side. No, can anybody relate to having this kind of neighbor? Maybe not that extreme, but maybe you've got a neighbor who's got a dog that barks incessantly and you're just like, shut up, dog. Or maybe your neighbor doesn't mow their grass or their plowing their snow onto your lawn or they park their car right in front of your house or whatever it is. These are the neighbors that it's hard to love sometimes. I'm guessing some of you can relate. I definitely can. And and the Bible talks a lot about neighbors, but usually when the Bible talks about neighbors, it's not talking about who is my neighbor because it's not really like they have to be your exact person next to your house. No, it's just kind of talking about The community that you interact with, that's the who. But more often when the Bible talks about neighbors, it talks about how to be a neighbor. Somebody one time asked Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus is like, wrong question. The question you should be asking is, how do you be a neighbor? What does it look like to be a neighbor? What is a neighbor? Because I think that if you look at the way I live my life, then sometimes you'd start assuming that a neighbor is somebody you compete with. A neighbor is somebody you beat. I'm an Enneagram three, and Enneagram threes are naturally very competitive person. So instead of, for me, it being uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses, it's more like trying to beat the Joneses, like trying to one-up the Joneses. If the Joneses get this big of whatever they got, I need to get this big of whatever they got, not because I want it or need it, just because they got it and I need to beat them. And I don't know that that's, the best idea. In fact, I know it's a terrible idea. Jesus said this about neighbors, love your neighbor. Not just, uh, don't just love them, but love them as yourself. Now that's a new standard because I don't know what you think about yourself, but I do know that you love yourself. You may not like yourself all that much. You may not like some things about yourself, but you love yourself. I mean, how much of your time do you spend taking care of yourself, feeding yourself, entertaining yourself, keeping yourself safe. Like you're, most of your life is consumed with yourself because that's what we do, right? I know that because you did not walk out in front of a car this morning in a road. You got here. Somehow you took care of yourself enough to get you here today. We all love ourselves. That's just natural. That's just the way we are. And Jesus says, here's how you should treat your neighbor. Here's how you should treat the people around you. The way you treat yourself, take care of them provide for them, give to them, entertain them. Whatever you do for yourself, do that for your neighbor. Instead, we get caught in this comparison game, seeing the goals that they're going after, seeing the things that they're doing, and getting distracted from what we've been called to and trying to achieve the goals that they are trying to reach. We compare. The problem is, comparison is a loser's game. We never win it, because somebody will always be better at you at something. You're never going to be the best at everything, and when you compare, you will always lose. And I'll be honest with you, I am terrible at this. If I did a push-up for every time I compared myself to Levi Kissick, I would look like Levi Kissick. I don't know if you've seen Levi Kissick. Levi Kissick is a... Hmm. Can you see the comparison? No, because I don't do a push-up every time I compare myself to Levi Kissick. I'm going to lose. If I get into the comparison battle, I'm going to lose. The fastest way to kill something special is to compare it to something else. Because God did not create every one of us to go after the same goals. In fact, God created us, every one of us. He knit us together in our mother's womb, specifically called to a purpose, to achieve something with our lives. So if we get caught up trying to run the neighbor's race, if we, got, if we get caught up trying to go after the goals that the neighbor is going after, then we're, number one, we're going to lose the race. Number two, we're not even going to be going after the right goal. We're going to be running at the wrong target. Kind of like this. Kilmer driving for the first down. Losing the okay. football. Okay, going up bubble. Marcia Marcia running running the bubble. Running for a touchdown. Marcia Nobody's going to stop him because he's running to the wrong end zone. And he's the wrong right thing. He scored
2: a touchdown. He scored and a he's three.
0: celebrating like he just won the Super Bowl. And he just scored a touchdown for the other team. He saw the target the other guy was going after and he thought, well, that must be the direction to go. I'll just run in that direction. Don't shoot for the goals that other people have been called to. God called you specifically a purpose to reach a specific goal, go after a specific target. So stop trying to compare, stop trying to compete and love your neighbor. Help them on their journey. You know, We're going to read a passage today by the Apostle Paul. And I think the Apostle Paul, based on what I know about his personality, was a pretty competitive guy, a pretty ambitious guy. And when the Apostle Paul was in his later years and he was in prison, he wrote this. I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. So don't confuse your dreams with their dreams and try to beat them and try to compete with them. Run your own race. And on the way, while you are running toward the goal that God created you to reach, you can help others on their journey because you recognize that you're gonna need their help at some point too. You can't do it all on your own. They can't do it all on their own. And so we're gonna help each other achieve our goals and we are more likely to reach our goals if we work on them Together, Not compete with them, but work with them. And then he says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, build, binding yourselves together on the same team, binding yourselves together with peace. Not competition, with peace. So stop comparing to your neighbor. Yeah, share with them the sugar when they need it. Mow their lawn. Help help each other along the way, those little things, but also the bigger things. Love each other. Sacrifice for each other. It's kind of like the tree that we've been talking about the past couple weeks. We're, We're calling it the unlovable tree. See, this this small tree over here on the left side is, in the world's eyes, an unlovable tree. Why is it unlovable? It can't carry its own weight. This is often what we're tempted to say about our society is everybody should carry their own weight. You should provide for yourself. And if you can't, you're just kind of the scum of society, right? Like you're not worth anything. If you can't carry your own weight, if you can't provide for yourself, what are you worth? Well, this tree is kind of like that. It's been chopped off. It's got no roots. It's got no way of providing for itself. Yet here it is thriving. Yet here it is blooming leaves alive. Why? Because it's receiving its life from someone else. It's being carried by a larger tree. Now, it's true that this tree is a burden on this tree, but this is the exact picture of what Christ gives us all through scripture. This idea of helping each other, providing for each other, sacrifice for each other. Some of you in the room have uh, children who have special needs. And I think you can understand this picture a lot better than the rest of us. And we look at the way you live, we live your life, and you have to not only carry the burden that we all have to carry and, and do the normal things that it takes to take care of yourself, but you've got another that you're providing for. You've got another that you're carrying their weight a lot of their time. And there's varying levels of this and, and all different levels, but this is the reality of our lives different levels, we all are given the responsibility of carrying the weight of another. If you are a first responder, you've been given the responsibility of carrying the weight of other people in their weak times, in their struggles. You've been given the responsibility of carrying their weight because they cannot carry their own weight. And I think both of these pictures are a beautiful picture of what God calls us to in scripture. It's not an image of everybody being dependent or independent. It's not an image of everybody being able to carry their own weight and nobody relying on anybody else. It's not an image of, of, of a world where nobody has to rely on the government and nobody has to give to charity because everybody's carrying their own weight. The image of Scripture is an image of people who are constantly sacrificing for each other, constantly giving to each other because we recognize that all of us, it will have times that we are weak. Because first responders are this big tree. that are carrying the weight of other people. But there is going to be a time when you first responders are going to be the smaller tree and you need somebody else to help you carry the weight. Because it will get too heavy for you. And that is the beautiful picture of the church. This is what we've been called to be for each other, body of Christ. One, people, helping each other in our weaknesses. Because when you are weak, he is strong. And how is he strong? He's usually strong through us by us helping each other, by us serving each other. This is what we have been called to do. Because can you imagine the opposite? Can you imagine a world in which first responders just expected everybody to carry their own weight? And they just look around and they decide whose life is worthwhile and whose isn't. And they look around and they decide, nah, that person's not carrying their own weight. They're just the scum of society. They're not worth saving. Can you imagine what a terrible life that would be and what a terrible church that would be. We have no interest in that. We have no interest in being a part of that kind of church where everybody is required to carry their own weight. That's not what we want. Sacrifice. That's what we've been called to. Because the opposite would look more like this.
1: All right. So assessing the situation, mm-hmm. are they breathing?
0: No, Rose. They are not breathing. And they have no arms or legs. No, that's not part of it. Where are they? You know what? If we come across somebody with no arms or legs, do we bother resuscitating them? I mean, what kind of quality of life do we have there? I would want to live with no legs. How about no arms? No arms or legs is basically how you exist right now, Kevin. You don't do anything.
1: All right. Well, let's get back to it because you're losing them. Okay. Too fast, everyone. We need to pump at a pace of 100 beats per minute.
0: Oh, okay. That's uh, hard to keep track. How many is that per hour? How's that going to help you? I will divide and then count to it. Right.
1: Okay, well, a good trick is to pump to the tune of Staying Alive by the Bee Gees. Do you know that song?
0: Yes, yes, I do. I love that song. <clears throat> first I was afraid I was petrified.
1: No, it's uh 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 staying, alive, okay. yes, staying yeah,
0: alive. You were in the parking lot earlier, that Michael Scott would be a horrible first responder because Michael Scott is all about Michael Scott. Ah, guys, we're not worth saving. What kind of quality of life would that be? Let them die. But I think this is how we think a lot of times. I mean, if you think about it, we are a society that allows for an operation, an abortion, we call it, to kill somebody that we prejudge before they're even born, eh, their quality of life won't be good enough. I can tell by looking at their DNA that they're just not worthy of, of living, so we'll end their life before it even happens because we judge people and we, we, we determine ahead of time if a person's life is worthy or not based on their ability to carry their own weight. That is not biblical. That is not Christ-like, and that is the, not the church. We do not love people because they deserve to be loved. We love people because we have been loved and because we've been called to love. In fact, Jesus took it one step further. He didn't just say, love your neighbor. He actually said, You've heard that it says, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, that's right. Jesus, you just said that. In fact, Jesus here is actually quoting himself. He's quoting the old covenant, the old law, the old rules. See, up to this point, the Jewish people followed the Jewish covenant with God. And that covenant said that they should love their neighbor. And then they kind of added this hate your enemy thing into it. And Jesus wasn't a big fan of that. And the apostle, and and Jesus in this moment is saying, Yeah, that was the rule, but the rule is now obsolete. I'm replacing it with something brand new. And the new is a much higher standard. In fact, the new is perfection. That's the standard. Good luck, because this is what the new law is commanding us to do. But I say, Love your enemies. Who's your enemy? You, you find out that the babysitter has been abusing your kids. True story of a new lifer. And the babysitter calls and asks for forgiveness and confesses what had happened. Do you forgive? Yes, you do. You struggle through it. it it's painful. But you forgive. Why? Why? Because you've been forgiven. Because you've been shown the way. You've been called to be like Christ, who sacrificed everything. Who forgave those who tortured him. Now, you don't give your kids back to them. Now, you're wise. In two weeks, we're going to have a a special service for veterans. And veterans fought enemies, right? And so we're not saying we never fight battles, But we're just saying we've been called even in the midst of fighting battles to love those that we fight against and love our enemies. And even go a step further, he says, you should pray for those who persecute you. He's speaking at a time when they understood persecution in a way we cannot comprehend. They did not have freedom of religion. They were persecuted. He says, how should we treat them? We should pray for them. Now, here's the reality about praying for your enemies is sometimes praying for your enemies changes your enemies. But sometimes it doesn't. But praying for your enemies will always change you for the better. Jesus tells us that we should forgive 70 times, seven times. That's a lot of times. I'm supposed to give to, to sacrifice for and love My enemy? People who have abused me? People who have hurt me? It's hard enough to help people that I like. It's hard enough to be generous with good people. It's hard enough to sacrifice for my church. How in the world am I supposed to find enough inside of myself to give to bad people? To love my enemy? That just is impossible. Right. The new standard is impossible. The new standard is perfection. And he says, in that way, you will be acting as true children, like the father, true children of your father in heaven. Now, I'm guessing there's some people in the room who would say, yeah, but I don't have any enemies, so this doesn't really apply to me. And I think that's probably true of some of us. But then I would ask, why not? How safe is my life And how easy is my life and how comfortable is my life if I'm living it in such a way that I never have any enemies? I'm certainly not doing what God has called me to do if I have zero enemies. Jesus said, woe to you if all men speak well of you. Apparently your godliness isn't showing very much because sometimes Christ-likeness is offensive. Sometimes we have been called to be offensive. Truth to a lying world is offensive. Maybe our godliness needs to show a little bit more. Because the world's not okay with that. For he gives his sunlight to good and bad, to both evil and the good. And he sends rain on the just And the unjust. And it's in this time that we've been called to relate to Christ a little bit. Who was, while he was being tortured, while he was being beaten and spit on, forgave the people who whipped him. The soldiers who hammered nails through his hands. How is that possible? That's just... Above our ability. That's just outside of our ability to comprehend. How is it possible to forgive those people as they are doing it? It is only possible with God. You can't do it. You cannot reach that standard. Just like you cannot reach the standard of perfection that the new covenant requires, you cannot reach the heights of love that is required to forgive that kind of evil until it is God working through you. Until your prayers for those who you feel so much hate for, until your prayers for your enemies have transformed you, have sanctified you, and have helped you to become who God created you to be. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there for that? That's easy. Even corrupt tax collectors, robbers, thieves do that much. A daughter has a drug addiction. And the mom takes away the drugs and creates terrible strife between the mom and daughter. True story. And the daughter shouts terribly hateful things at the mother. And harms her in many different ways. How does the mother react? She forgives. In fact, she doesn't just forgive. She goes sacrificially after the daughter doing whatever she can to help her. Why? Because she loves. Because her love for the daughter is not conditional on the daughter's actions, the same way Christ loved us. His love for us is not conditional on our actions. Now, sometimes that love is heavy-handed. Sometimes that love is tough love, but it's love all the same. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else, even pagans, Do that. So, Christians, we are called to a higher standard of sacrifice for people. To forgive when it just doesn't make sense. To be generous to illogical lengths. Because the old Jewish law said we should forgive three times. That was the law written in. And then the new law comes along and says, no, not three times. 490 times. Others would say, no, actually seven is the number of perfection or the number of infinity. It's actually saying you should forgive an infinite number of times. Either way, to forgive 490 times is a length we haven't gotten to anyway. Jesus' law is all about love and grace and forgiveness. And we are called to be children of God, reaching for his standard of perfection. But you are to be perfect can't do it on your own, even as your father in heaven is perfect. And we are only able to love our enemies. We are only able to sacrifice those for people who are nothing like us if it is God doing it through us. It's God living in us. It is us being transformed and becoming more and more like him, and we trust him to make things right. When we are transformed to the point where we are fully surrendered to God, then we are able to put our trust in him and allow him to make things better. That's how we can turn the other cheek. That's how we can resist hitting back because we trust God for justice. The Apostle Paul said, never take revenge. Oof, never really. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. So if we trust God, then we trust him to make things right. We trust that he will make all things work for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And if he's going to make all things work for the good, I can put it all in his hands. So we can love our enemies because we trust God and because we are called to be like him, And while we were God's enemies. Did you know when you sinned? The first time you became God's enemy, working against everything good that he was trying to bring to the world. While we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. His death made perfection possible. His death made reconciliation possible. His death brought to you forgiveness that you could not earn. And we show that we are children of God when we love our enemies like He loves us. That's one thing to say, it's much harder to do. We've got a whole life group in our church right now that is just focused on trying to forgive people who've hurt us. So, who hurt you? Are you praying for them? Can you get to the place where you can love them? Even if you don't make it, even if you don't get the relationship back to where they can hurt you again, can you still love for them? Can you even sacrifice for them? No, you can't, not on your own. But if you look at the cross, and if, as you become more and more like Christ, as you are sanctified, you can. As they led Jesus away, a man named Simon So Jesus is getting ready to be crucified, and then this guy that we don't know anything much about outside of this story pops up in the story, and a man named Simon, who was from Cyrene, happened to be coming in from the countryside. The soldiers seized him and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. So This verse about this guy named Simon gives us a lot of details of this interaction. And I just want to take a few moments to point out a couple things that we know about this interaction between Simon and Jesus. Because apparently Simon is being held up as an example of how we should live our lives. One thing that we know is that Simon was a foreigner. He's actually an African. In other words, there was very little that Jesus, this Jew, had in common with Simon. They're not alike. Often in our lives, we are called to love people who are nothing like us. In fact, we look at the way that we live their lives, we look at their political ideas, we look at the the decisions that they're making, and some of the dumb things they're doing. We're just like, what is wrong with you? Get your life together. And usually, the people that God is calling us to love are those people that we're just disgusted by the way they're living their lives, or the decisions they're making, or the things that they think. A lot of times the people we are called to serve will be nothing like us. We also know that Simon was inconvenienced. He was on the job. He's on his way to get something done. And Simon has to carry a very heavy cross that is probably covered in blood and other human bodily fluids because they would reuse these crosses over and over and over again to torture people, to nail people, to these crosses loving your enemy is not going to be easy or pretty in fact loving your enemy could be downright disgusting and painful we also see that simon followed behind jesus i think this is a really cool detail that luke adds in there again it just seems like why add that detail, but he sticks it in there. And I think it's because Jesus had said this just a short time before. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Don't do things the way that the world does anymore. But take up your cross, carry a cross, and follow me. Simon is doing this exact action. He, he is a metaphor, an illustration, a physical embodiment of this instruction. So here's our command. If we want to be like Christ, we have to love the way he loves. We have to serve the way he serves. We have to sacrifice the way he serves. We sacrifices. We have to follow behind him. To do what he does. What does he do? He carries a cross for you. So you carry a cross for others. We also know that Simon was used to prolong the life of Jesus. These were terribly hurtful people that were crucifying Jesus. Hateful people, the enemies of Jesus, literally. And they did not want Jesus to die before they could keep torturing him. Before they could nail his wrists and his feet to a cross. And they recognized as they were torturing him that he was going to die before they got to the place where he was going to be crucified. And recognizing that he is about to die, they pull Simon out of the crowd and they make him carry the cross so that they could torture Jesus a little bit more. Simon was used to prolong the life of Jesus. And finally, they get up the hill and when they came to the place called the Skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified. One, of his, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Forgiveness. In this moment, they don't know what they're doing. Their minds are not big enough to comprehend what's happening in this moment. And the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Jesus didn't just forgive somebody who happened to do something small against him, and then he prays for them? He prays that they will be blessed? He literally blesses those who are persecuting him? The crowd watched, and the leaders scoffed. He saved others, they said. Let him save himself, if he is really God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers mocked him, too, by offering him a drink of sour wine. They called out to him, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And all of this is operating under the assumption that if you have power, if you are strong, if you're a king or any kind of strength whatsoever, you will use every ounce of your strength to prop yourself up. Because we love ourselves, right? So we're going to use all the power we have for ourselves. And then if there's anything left over that I can't use for myself, then I'll help somebody else on the way. But this is not the type of life we've been called to live. Jesus is demonstrating with his life that he is not going to use his power for himself. He is going to use every ounce of power that he has for us, to lift us up. And a sign was fastened above him with these words, this is the king of the Jews, making fun of him. One of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed, so you're the Messiah, are you? Prove it by saving yourself. This is our assumption. And us too while you're at it. But the other criminal protested. Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to die? We deserve to die for our crimes. But this man hasn't done anything wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, no, not good enough yet. Jesus replied, nah, you're a criminal, remember? No. Jesus replied, I assure you, today you will be with me in paradise. Forgiveness. God is a God of love. God is a God of sacrifice. He didn't sit up there on the cross and make the thief list all the sins that he had committed so that each one of them could be forgiven and go through all these things to reconcile with people. Today, you will be with me in paradise. God is God of love. God is a God of forgiveness of people who do not deserve to be forgiven. Kind of like a first responder. When you call up a first responder, I'm in trouble. I need help. They sit there and ask the questions. Well, how good of a person are you? List your sins. Nope. I need help. They come and help. Watch this.
1: Hi, I'm Teresa Kanigater. I'm
2: Jason Kanigater.
0: My name is Derek Hulian. I'm a paramedic for Campbell County Health here in July.
1: And on December 29th, 2020, um, I had a cardiac arrest.
0: <laughs> it
1: was uh, not planned, of course, and I don't really remember most of the story. Um, I was not feeling well the whole day. I know this. Um, Jason had taken me to a doctor, a dermatology appointment that day and just didn't feel good all day. and. I'm gonna let him try to fill in the blanks after that because I don't know a lot <laughs> what happened.
2: When we got home, she actually said, I'm going to bed and I was like at 4, 35 o'clock. And uh, then I was just watching TV, reading the papers and throughout that time until closer to going to bed and everything, she'd come in and ask certain questions and, and she had had COVID and, her mom passed away, and all this stuff, so she had not been feeling good at all. But about 11:45, she came in and uh, said, "I don't want to die alone." Of course, that was pretty tough. And then she said it right away again, so I thought, "I'm, I'm going to go back and go to bed." And so now, done, we got into bed, and everything. She'd roll over. And, Had her arm around me from my backside and laid there and we chalked a little bit. And and anyhow, thought, right, it had to be a little after midnight. That's what I had figured. But uh, she actually rolled away and let out two big gasps. And I knew something was wrong. So I sat up, hollered at her and everything else. And I mean, she was definitely gone. And of course that's when I started calling 911 and Um, thank God the EMT and police were real close. Uh, Tanner Clements from the police department, after I'd been given CPR, he took over. And just, he was there probably in three minutes, three, four minutes, and the paramedics was there within probably five. And that's when Derek took over. And, um, Tanner was also rewarded a, um, we call it a life,
1: life-saving.
2: life-saving reward a couple months ago also.
0: So we were on our way to another call, which was a non-emergent call, and their address came in for a, there was going to be a an ambulance call there. So we kind of
2: slowed down before we got to Butler Space, so we knew what it was, because if it was kind of the same priority we were already going to, we were going to
0: keep going to what we were going to. But it came in as a cardiac arrest, so we turned and went down Butler's faith and we got there extremely quick because we were already up out and going in the middle of the night you know we get up and get ready quick and then get on the road but we got there and the cop was still doing cpr and i got her hooked up to the monitors and it was a,
2: a rhythm we could shock and i shocked her one time and no. we were going again
1: so and with that said um after everything was said and done i had been transported to rapid um they took care of me 100% <laughs> of stuff. And the next thing I remember out of everything is coming out and uh, cardiac uh, doctors come in and told me what was going on and, and everything. And he sat down and he, he just said the right people were in the right places. and I just have a lot to thank <laughs> for all of you.
2: It's people that definitely there. everybody was in the right place at the right time that night.
1: Yeah, and he said if, the if, if they wouldn't, they, they wouldn't have made it. Is what he said. He goes, he normally doesn't talk to people like me. <laughs> he says they're usually gone. And so I just thank God and thank all these guys for being, knowing what they were doing and and taking
0: care of me. Of course. I love Derek's response there at the end. Of course, that's what we do. That's the job. No questions asked. That's just what we do. Because the reality is at some point in our lives, we're all going to be the little tree. We're all going to need to be held up, helped up. And we're thankful for those people who are strength and we're weak. But there's a bigger picture here as well. There's the reality of the fact that we are all this little tree and there is a God who will sustain every one of us because we are all going to die. Every single one of us are going to die at some point. But there is a God who says, actually, I'm eternal. An eternal being who says, you can be grafted into the vine. You can be be a part of my life. You can receive my life and become an eternal being as well and live with me for eternity. And that's why he had to die. So that you could be forgiven, be adopted into his family, And to have a relationship with him that looks a lot like this. If you don't have this kind of relationship with God, today's the day. Make it happen. Don't put it off. Talk to somebody that you know as a Christian. Let them know you're ready to make that commitment. Have a conversation with God and just say, I'm sorry for the things I've done. Thanks for forgiving me. If you want to talk to somebody about that commitment, there'll be people up here after the service. who would love to talk to you about what that would look like. If you want to just let us know you're making that commitment, you can click the button on the online service, or you can fill out a card in the back of the the chair in front of you. Let us know you're making that commitment. We want to follow up with you and let you know some next steps that you can take in this journey of building a relationship with God. God, today I thank you for how you have set an example of forgiveness and love and sacrifice for us. I thank you that there are people in our world demonstrate it for us on a regular basis. Help us to be more like you, and more like them. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.